A lack of information around addiction and mental health issues has led to a lot of confusion. Heroes in Recovery is here to set the record straight and break the stigma through the power of storytelling and by celebrating the heroic efforts of those who walk this road of recovery every day. Our movement is built on the personal journeys of survivors, shining a spotlight on the disease of addiction and creating a global community of support. Go to heroesinrecovery.com to share your story, read hundreds of others, or join us for a 6K race. Together, we can break the stigma. Yo, what's up? This is Jacoby from Papa Roach. This is Ryan Lee. This is Wes. This here. is Bob Ford. This is Rich Roll, and you're listening to Silver Guy Radio. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to Humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I'm Shane Raymer, and you're listening to that Sober Guy podcast. And today we're talking to my friend Stacy Tickner. And Stacy is a hairstylist from Sacramento, California. Uh, her first experience with alcohol was at the age of 13, and her drinking career began at the age of 23. Uh, what started, uh, like many of us, uh, just some social drinking eventually escalated into a drinking problem uh, over a 10 year period, which left her unable to moderate her own use. And uh, as the desire to stop drinking couldn't overpower the impulse to continue, uh, she realized that she needed some help. And in 2015, Stacy began to seek recovery in various forms to aid in her process towards a life free from the consequences caused by addiction to alcohol. Uh, she's found great value in listening to recovery podcasts such as that sober guy. So much love on that. Uh, and many more out there. There's lots of good ones out there. Um, and uh, she's also began uh, a path of implementing a Buddhist approach known as refuge recovery. Uh, so we're going to get to Stacy in just a minute. But first, uh, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com for past episodes and resources. Um, you can also connect with us on Instagram at realthatsoberguy and um, on Twitter at Shane Raymer. And then uh, we have a couple of live shows coming up I wanted to tell you about. Uh, actually, this Saturday, December 1st at Journey Coffee in uh, Vacaville, California, starts at 7 p.m. Uh, we have special guest Wordsmith from Neighborhood Hope Dealer and uh, my good homie Philip Wright joining us. Uh, and then also Shane Raymer and Mark Saratella present That Sober Guy podcast live at the Hollywood Improv. That's January 20th with special guests Darren Prince and Brandon Novak. Uh, so if you want any more information about tickets or uh, either of those shows, you can go to thatsoberguy.com slash live shows, uh, or you can go directly to the improv.com slash Hollywood and get tickets for that show there. Uh, do you need some help? You can call Foundations Recovery Network at 877-714-1318. They have nationwide residential and outpatient facilities. And uh, we've been working with Foundations for a few years now. Uh, they're amazing people and uh, they're great resources and they're here to help you. So if it's you or a loved one who's struggling uh, with addiction, you just have some questions, uh, feel free to reach out to them at any time. Once again, that's 877-714-1318. And then the last thing, uh, we just launched the How to Navigate, the first 90 Days of Sobriety podcast video course. Uh, I'm definitely excited to launch that. Uh, it, it took a minute to put together. It was a lot of work. Um, and uh, I wore Wranglers in a hunting vest for like a day or two when I got out of sober because I was so fucking confused about what was going on in my life. Like, who is this new dude? Who am I? What am I doing with my life? I'm supposed to be this sober guy now. And uh, how do I go about that? And um, 
you know, those first 90 days were really crucial. So, so what we did is we put together uh, some great content with some uh, different personalities, some doctors uh, to help talk about what it's like in the first 90 days and how we can help guide you uh, through uh, some of those or some of that process by sharing some of our own experiences. So you can get it uh, right now for 17 bucks through the end of the month. If you go to that soberguy.com and click on courses. You can do that. Stacy Tickner, all the way from Mexico. What's up, Stacy? Welcome to Sober Guy. How are you? Hey, Shane Raymer. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's about time. We've been kicking this can back and forth. Hey, we're going to come on this date. Like our, our schedules are so conflicting. Um, on the days right. that you're available, I'm not and vice versa. So I'm really, really stoked uh, that we're hooking up today. And thank you for taking some time on the tail end of your vacation uh, to come on and talk with us today. Any day. I'm super happy to be here. It's, uh, it's, it feels like a milestone almost. You know, I started my recovery listening to your podcast. So to be able to share my story on here is pretty exciting. It's kind of like getting a coin, you know? <laughs> I am very honored to hear that. That is really, really cool. And uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, there's so many podcasts and different resources out there. Um, I think it's really great what's happening inside the recovery community and recovery industry and all um, you know, just as a whole, there's a lot of different things coming. And of course, you still got your foundational 12-step uh, platforms. I don't think that um, any, any podcast or anything take away from any of that, but it's really nice right. to have additional tools to add to that kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's a good way to do my homework and my recovery. You know, turn on a podcast, get it in yeah. my head, start my day that way. It's been pretty helpful for me. How's, uh, how's your vacation been? Let's start there. I mean, Mexico, uh, like, can, you, can you go wrong there? I see the background there for those watching on the video. Uh, it's, it's pretty damn beautiful. Yeah, we've, uh, this is our last day here, our last full day here. So we're pretty ready to go home, you know, but it, it, it's been wonderful. We've had a lot of experiences with the kids. We've been zip lining and climbing through caves and beach days and good food and, you know, families here. We had our Thanksgiving here. So, nice. um, you know, living the dream. It's, it's been great. That's funny. You just reminded me, we went to Mexico after Jess and I got married on Thanksgiving and, um, oh, no way. I got so jacked up though. I don't remember much of it cause I wasn't sober then. <laughs> so, I mean, what's yeah. it like to be sober in Mexico? That's gotta be, um, something pretty cool. Yeah, it's a whole nother experience to, you know, I've gone on vacations. Most of them, I don't remember much. Most of them were blown with alcohol. You know, I made being here, you know, I want to drink in that place and I want to drink yeah. in this place. And really it was just lost opportunity. So, um, you know, early on in my recovery, I probably would have thought that I'd be suffering having this experience without alcohol. Um, and now, you know, it doesn't really cross my mind that I'm, you know, here sober. It's just, yeah. it, it's a nice way to live my life now and just take it all in and be able to live it to the fullest. Well, I think that's good. And, and, and what that kind of says to me is that it's a lifestyle. And I think that's such an important thing. Like, it's not like, Oh, I just don't drink or I don't, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to know. Obviously there's different stages and different times in our lives and stuff. Right. But when you make it a lifestyle of being sober and, and, um, just living a life of recovery or sobriety, whatever you want to uh, label it. Um, yeah. It just becomes like second nature, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that way in the beginning at all, you know. Um, yeah. In fact, I would avoid certain situations or, um, you know, the cravings would kind of take away from the experience. And so 
it's nice to have gratitude to be able to be in this moment without the suffering of cravings. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe let's jump back then. That's, that's kind of a good uh, segue, I think, into what it was like uh, before you got sober. Like, what was your life like and uh, what were some of the things that you were doing and searching for? Right. Well, um, so I guess I, if I want to start from the beginning, um, I was, I guess, born an alcoholic. I, you know, my father was an alcoholic. Um, he was not in my life for that very reason. But, um, you know, once I had started drinking, that became very apparent that I just didn't have the, the couth to be a normal drinker, hmm. you know. And so every time I did drink, which was pretty much any time I wasn't working, it was just all the way to annihilating myself. You know, it was just blacked out drunk. So, you know, for the 10 years that I was drinking, I don't really have a lot of experiences, sober experiences that were positive. And I started out, you know, it was fun. I'd go dancing and, you know, I wasn't the type of drinker to wake up next to strange men in bed or, you know, get a DUI. I never drank and drove. And I think that because I was able to maintain it so well was the reason it became such a big problem. Yeah. Um, I was brought up to you know, not really share your weaknesses with others. We um, were raised to, you know, poise ourselves and, uh, you know, show a lot of composure. So my problem with drinking as it got worse became my biggest secret, even to my best friends and my family. And so I wasn't really able to get help because I was ashamed of it. And uh, so, you know, the people who were drinking around me thought it was all fun. And really, I was suffering on the inside. I was ashamed and I wanted to stop and I couldn't. And yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't fun. Yeah, I know that uh, from experience myself, too. And I think a lot of people have been through that same thing you're talking about where maybe you didn't go to jail or get three DUIs or one DUI or, you know, some of those they call them low bottoms that people really lose everything. Um, mm-hmm. It makes it really, really easy to justify the behavior. And, and I, you know, experienced that myself too. Um, when did it, when did you start to really realize that, uh, that you had a problem and, and that you might want to take a little bit of a deeper look into, you know, your behaviors with alcohol? Um, really around the time that I tried to stop, believe it or not, I thought I could stop uh, ahead of the game that it wasn't really, that big of a problem. Um, I had begun isolating and, um, you know, I'm a terrible loner. I don't really like to do anything by myself. I don't go to movies by myself. And when I realized that I wanted to push people away because I wanted to drink so much, just socializing wasn't a part of that. Um, I realized that it was becoming a problem. And so, you know, I had talked to people that I drank with and said, you know, I'm going to try to stop drinking and still not admitting that I had a problem. Just, you know, I want to do it. I don't want to be hungover anymore. It's wasting my time. Um, and everybody was telling me like, Oh, just, you know, you just have to cut back. And the alcoholic in me was like, that's actually a great idea. I don't have to quit drinking, you know? And it wasn't until I tried to control it that it got completely out of control. When I started waking up with bruises on my face, um, I started pushing people away. 
um, I was dry heaving, you know, I was drinking so much that it was making me sick and I had a, a lot of anxiety. That was really the one thing that made me want to stop drinking was that I was trying to treat my anxiety with drinking, you know, no drunk person's ever complaining about their anxiety. Like, so <laughs> it was, it was my way to make that go away. And, but I would wake up in the morning with a snowball effect of anxiety. So I knew that it had to stop, but it, uh, it was not as easy as I thought. And it really showed me, you know, took off the blinders as to what kind of problem I was facing. Yeah. Anxiety. That's such a big one for a lot of people out there. And if you think about just uh, going into a social setting, um, a wedding, a funeral, it doesn't really matter. There's alcohol is always going to be around. Um, and then yeah. you kind of tie that, that part into it with, um, social anxiety or just anxiety with life. Um, mm -hmm. then there's that tool. Okay. Well, let me, alcohol makes me feel warm. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel better. Um, and before you know it, uh, they say it's very progressive, right? And, and then before yeah. you know it, it's like, wow, how the heck did I get here? Um, right. Yeah. Like where, like where, where did this come from? Like I, what, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Like we never woke up and we're like, oh man, I'm so, man, I can't wait to grow up and have a huge problem with alcohol and drugs. That's what uh -huh. I'm just longing for in my life. Um, what, so you, you, you mentioned um, kind of inadvertently, the way I heard it was some isolation there too. Like, fi like finding yourself pushing back from your friends, from um, I'm not sure, friends, family, whatever. What was that like? Like when you start going back and, and wanting to be, you know, alone. That's a really tough thing. Yeah. Um, it just got to a point where I was drinking so fast, you know, when I would start drinking, it wasn't really, you know, what when I started drinking, drink, what, what did you drink? Uh, I, I drank Sailor Jerry straight <laughs> out of the bottle. Damn, you're hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I would chase it with Bud Light. So it was always double fisting and, um, yeah. So really the isolation happened. Um, I met Dave at, um, probably the lowest point in my life. I had gone through a terrible grievance, which um, is what triggered the anxiety. I lost somebody in a murder-suicide. So, um, you know, my arms were going numb. It was pretty much crippling anxiety. My knees were buckling. My hands were locking up. Yeah, I was going to grievance counseling. And again, with, you know, you don't share your problems with people. I wasn't even telling my grievance counselor that mm -hmm. away from her room, I was treating myself with alcohol. So I had met Dave at a pretty low point in my life. Um, I was going through divorce. I knew he was trying to get his sobriety under control and I was falling in love with him. And really all I wanted to do was like crawl inside his skin and live there. You know, I just wanted yeah. to be around him all the time, but I was pushing him away from me. And I knew that I was probably ruining the potential of our relationship because I wanted to be drinking and I couldn't drink around him. And, um, drinking with my friends had become not fun. It wasn't really something that, um, anybody was having a good time with. It was just Stacy falling all over the place and not making sense or crying. You know, when you get to that point where you're just crying when you're drinking, um, it's just not fun anymore for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I want to, I want to mention real quick too. Um, so Dave, uh, your man, your boo, my good homie, yeah. Dave Buckner. He's been on the show a couple of times, episode 209 and uh, 165. I took a quick little note of that for those out there listening. If they want to go back and hear any of Dave's story, he's got a great story too. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, let's, and you know, feel free to go as, as high level or, or just however you want to, but the relationship aspect just in general of, of uh, trying to deal with the relationship 
being, um, you know, addicted to alcohol or drugs versus being sober. It's, you know, there's always challenges no matter which one you do. But um, when you involve um, alcohol and drugs into something like that, relationships can become really, really, really difficult. How, how was Absolutely. that guys early on with you guys both trying to go through your own recovery? And what's up, Big Bang, Dave? I love you, buddy. It was it was a mess, Shane. The first year of our relationship, you know, I hadn't even attempted sobriety before I met him, and um, I really took him down with me. You know, he did not have a firm grasp on his recovery. He, you know, you'll hear in his story that he was 11 years into recovery and had never accumulated a solid year. So um, I, he used my drinking as an excuse to relapse. And I used his relapse as an excuse for me to continue drinking. Hmm. So really, we uh, were toxic in the beginning. And so it wasn't until I, um, I realized my codependent behavior in my early recovery and Dave as well, that we decided to separate our recovery and hmm. to support each other, but to go on separate paths. We didn't have to do it being in the same stages as each other, and we didn't have to have the same recovery date, and we didn't have to drink when the other person did. And that was a crucial element of this, our success in recovery, um, was to not be dependent on the other one, because it's really easy to find an excuse in somebody else to make your drinking okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's good, Stacey. Like, in, you mentioned the the codependency aspect of it. Um, that's such a huge part of whether you're somebody who is struggling with addiction personally, or you have a spouse or a loved one or someone, um, we're all kind of codependents in some sense, whether we're on either end of the spectrum. Um, like I know, I know Jess is, uh, you know, she's doing her own 12 step right now for codependency. And uh, I'm, I'm super, super proud of her for that because a lot of the time, that gets overlooked, the spouse, the loved one. And I love that you said that you guys separated your recovery. Like, yeah, we're one, we're, we're a couple, like we're doing life together. We're companions, all that stuff. But like, we don't have to do this and do it exactly the same because it sounded like that wasn't really working anyways. Um, Not at all. So how, how did that kind of progress for you guys? And um, how, how long has it been since you've been uh, sober, by the way, too? Um, so I've been sober for 19 months nice. and yeah, awesome. it'll be 20 months in two days. So that's Congrats. really exciting. It's nice <laughs> yeah. to hear it come out of my mouth, you know? Yeah, that's and, badass. It was really hard to accumulate my first 30 days. It took me almost a year and um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I spent my one year birthday really emotional about it I was very, hmm. and I'm getting emotional now. I was really proud of myself because yeah. when you look when you're looking at the long picture and you're at your rock bottom, it doesn't really seem very possible. And it doesn't seem like you'd make it here without cravings on the daily, you know, to make everything about not drinking because that's how it started. Was, was there something in particular you said the first 30 days was really tough. And um, I know that that is a huge, you know, that's a huge uh, step for people to even get that 30 day trip uh, chip. Was there, was there one, instance or one thing that really stands out to you that kind of helped you get through those 30 days or was it just like did it I mean what was it for you um it was my mentor I I had called her after a relapse and um and you know I talked to her about it and she said she said a comment and within that comment she said that we're gonna get you your first year Mm. and um 
it just, that just sounded wild to me. And because I didn't really believe her, you know, I didn't believe in my, well, I didn't believe in myself, but I believed her. And so I was just like, you know what? I think, I think she's right. I think I can do this. And so that's when I really started taking it seriously. Like, it's not about these 30 days. This is about me, you know, changing my life to being a non-drinker, being in recovery. And, uh, you know, that really resonated with me. It made me very hopeful. And up until then I didn't have a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, what do you think is, and and I want to actually, before I ask the question, I kind of want to, want to lead in with this, you know, I started sober guy radio. Right. And like, I thought, Oh man, it's just going to be like a bunch of dudes like that. Listen to a bunch of guys talk about recovery. Right. And like, it's just kind of taken on this life of its own. And like, there's so many women out there who listen to the show and who are involved, you know, Jess is really involved and I love that. And I don't think we, we, we have enough um, female guests on. So I just want to say, I'm really, really happy that you're on today. And thank you for coming on. Uh, number I'm one, honored. number two, like, what do you think women struggle with the most, like with addiction, with alcohol, and maybe just life in general? Is there something that, you know, that, that really has, um, has hit you that, that you think might be able to help like another woman out there who's, who's going through it? Um, I think the big one is, you know, women want to be strong. We're always trying to prove that we're strong. And especially right now, there's this big women's movement. And so to, it's kind of like going back to my childhood, how I was taught not to share my weaknesses. I think it's really hard for women to uh, talk about the fact that they can't cope with anything, that we're numbing ourselves, that uh, we're not perfect. Women are always trying to perceive themselves perfect. And so, uh, the admission of weakness and not having it all together is very freeing. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a big one for me where I didn't have to pretend like I was perfect and had it all together that in fact I was a mess and I needed help. Yeah. Well, it's huge. Yeah. It's just like you let that stuff go. Like, just let it, Mm -hmm. let it go. Like, I don't want to worry about that. I don't have to control that. I can't control that. Right. Here's who I am. And then I know for me, like when I sobered up, that's really when I started to learn who I was. I really didn't have any idea who I was until I started to like do a little bit of work, you know, and it's, it's right. crazy how you find like, wow, there's this like whole new person inside of me. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't, um, myself, you know, who we grow to be in our recovery. I feel like that person wasn't even present in my drinking. Um, there was no room for her. I spent so much of my time drunk, you know, and that's just a whole nother person. And I think that our minds have a lot to do with our drinking. And so, you know, I've learned that my mind is a roommate that I can't get rid of huh. and that uh, we don't agree with, you know, each other and that my mind doesn't always have my best interests at heart. In fact, it's almost like a devil on my shoulder. Yeah. And so when I, I learned, I'm kind of jumping here, but no, you're fine. You're doing um, great an important tool in my recovery that I picked up on wasn't even part of recovery. It was this book that I read, um, the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. And right in the beginning of the book, it was like 23 pages in, he explains that we are separate from our mind, that our mind is separate from our being. And, um, that what we want is different than what our minds try to convince us that we want. And I believe that lives in my mind and that Stacy, my being, wants things completely separate from what my mind's trying to convince me of what I want. So I was able to take that and really wrap my mind around that and observe what my mind is trying to convince me of 
from a third party without judgment, right? Yeah. My cravings were coming in and going, you want to drink. Nobody will ever find out. You can control your drinking, right? Um, and if I was separating those thoughts from myself, I'm like, you don't want to drink. You want to, you know, become stronger in your recovery. And so I was able to just like allow those thoughts to come and go um, through that craving without feeling like it was going to run the show. I'm like, wow. I'm just observing this happening and it's, it doesn't really have to happen. It's just what yeah. my mind is trying to tell me. And so, um, yeah, it's pretty wild. What's, what's that book called again? I'm going to make sure I put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's, it really, um, it really changes the way that we perceive our minds and our life and what we have control over. And, uh, it's such a mind warp that they have this symbol in the book where take a break, put it down, reflect, read back, make sure you really understood what you were reading. Um, so I still, to this day, haven't even completed the book, but it's uh, a lot of people describe it as life changing and I can see why. Well, I love, I love to like one thing I learned, and I know, I know you follow, you and Dave both follow uh, Refuge Recovery. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I heard Noah Levine say one time that has always stood out to me was that how he refers to his mind as the mind because it's like a third party. And that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit. And when I, when, I, when I started to put it into that context, it helped me understand a little bit how to deal with some of the thoughts that I had coming in, knowing that they're not connected to my heart to my, to my soul, to mm-hmm. my spirit. That's not yeah. me. And it's okay to let those thoughts come in and say, okay, that's not a good thought. I probably shouldn't be thinking that right now, you know, whether it's a craving or whether it's just being an asshole or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to give myself grace on that. And I'm just going to let it slide on through. And I, because I know that just like you said, that little voice up there, man, that's what had me running in circles for years out there, you know, doing drugs and drinking, you know what I mean? And, exactly. And once, when I kind of finally got a little grasp of that, and I'm still continuing to learn every day, of course, um, it started to make a little bit of sense. Yeah. I lost the audio for just a second. Okay. No, cool. I, I did I did too, actually. That was that was weird there okay. for a second. But I guess that's the uh, the beauty of Mexico to California on a, yeah. on a Zoom call. But you know, it's it's actually going better than I thought it would as far as connection wise. Um so Yeah, in, in terms of what you were just saying, that's exactly it. you you understand completely what I'm trying to say. And um, that's a big part of refuge recovery is being mindful, you know, just observing the thoughts that come in, accepting them, and um it's been really powerful for me to separate the two because yeah. I no longer, you know, it's all, we talk about, about a lot about loving yourself and giving yourself, um, you know, time to learn to love yourself. And I, I think that I do love myself. I think my mind's trying to convince me that I don't. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, being able to separate, it's been really, really helpful. And even through cravings, right. I, th- I think cravings live in our minds. So, and early on in recovery, I would just sit through a craving, like grasping for mm. it to pass. And now I just observe it. And I realize that. Oh, I lost you there. Like, there you go. Okay. You here? Yeah. I lost you there for just a second. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was just, uh, I used to just sit through cravings and suffering and waiting for it to pass. And now I'm able to just observe them. Yeah. And the lies that my mind tells myself, and I'm no longer 
um, afraid that cravings are going to, you know, take over and it's actually going to come to fruition of me drinking. It's just a moment that has to pass. Yeah. And there's a lot of tools that people use, you know, maybe, um, obviously you can call somebody, you can stop and take a couple breaths. You can take a walk. There's things that can, uh, be used, um, to help those things pass. And I think the biggest thing, at least for me, and I mentioned it a minute ago is giving myself grace on those. Like I, I used to think when I first got sober, like, man, damn it, Shane, why are you having those thoughts? Like, stop, don't think yeah. that, you know what I'm saying? And that's not like healthy. Like I, the more that I learned and so, started to work like my program and stuff, I learned that like, okay, those thoughts are normal. They're going to come in. They're going to happen. Yep. But let me just let them, like I said, slide on through and give myself a little grace on them. And, and like you said, they, they pass, they end up yeah. passing. Um, how do you have fun? In recovery. I know that's a big one. Like people think, oh, I'm going to go get sober. My life's going to be all lame and boring. But man, like being sober is so rad. Like what do you do for fun, Stacey? Um, everything that I do is fun in recovery and <laughs> not really anything that I did in my drinking career was fun. Yeah. So I, you know, I just really want to create moments with my children that they don't forget. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were snorkeling and I was, instead of looking at all the fish in the coral, I was watching my son look at the fish in the coral. And, you know, for me, that was just everything that was better than anything I was going to see in the water. Yeah. So just, you know, for fun, I just try to do things that I'm not going to forget and live them to the fullest and cross things off of my bucket list. Um, but even if I'm sitting at home with my family, I think that that's fun. I'm no yeah. longer, um, you know, thinking of what I'm doing, like I said earlier, is doing anything without drinking. I'm just living my life um, and really with a lot of gratitude for recovery. Yeah. It, you know, the colors are prettier. I feel better. I think I was really sick, you know. Um, I never felt good. And so I, I'm just really grateful to be here in Mexico with my children, with my health, with my mind getting stronger and my confidence and my recovery getting stronger. Um, but again, not to take it for granted. I don't, yeah. I don't want to take any of this for granted. Um, how, so how'd you get your son out of his, uh, Hugh Hefner bathrobe? I haven't. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Our baby Huey. Yeah. God, that thing's gross. We just have to keep buying new ones. So, you know, we don't get grossed out. I was but, cracking up when I came over to your guys' house and he, he's such a nice kid and a good kid and stuff. And he's, he's kind of, well, at least, uh, you know, when I met him, he's a little quiet and stuff. I'm sure he's probably not around the house or whatever, but, um, yeah, he was just kicking it, slippers, bathrobe, just hanging out, you know, I was digging it. Like that was great. Like, put some clothes you. on, kid. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's never gonna outgrow that. It started when he was four, and I bought him his first bathrobe, and that's just what he wears at home. It's it's pretty funny though. It's classic. Everybody calls him Baby Huey. Baby Huey, what's up, Baby mm-hmm. Huey? Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um, damn it, I had a I had another question for you. What the heck was it now? I, oh, that's what it was. Um, so. I wanted to ask you a little bit about business, like being a hairstylist, being in that business. Um, there's, um, there's, a, that's a, a very um, uh, demanding job. Um, yeah. You know, not only are you making women beautiful, you're also hearing about all their problems and their issues, and you're almost kind of like a therapist in a sense. Mm-hmm. And um, it's stressful at times. And you know, I hear yeah. Jess come home some days and. Um, you know, she's had some long, tough days. And so I'm wondering how, how 
being sober um, and, um, and, and that kind of go hand in hand? And, and was it different? Were, were you still drinking be, before you were, hair, you were working, obviously, but um, how has yeah. that been for you? Um, it's been interesting. I, the, the hard part was uh, doing that job with the anxiety that the, brink, the drinking brought to me. Mm. So, um, you know, I tried to hide my anxiety and that ultimately made it snowball, you know, and you show up, you're driving to work in survival mode. Like, okay, I can do this. I'm not going to black out and have a panic attack. Um, I'm just going to get into the flow of things. And my anxiety made a lot of things kind of go silent for me. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like the teacher or the radio on Charlie Brown, like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and that's a really hard job when you can't, yeah. you don't have the, the power in your mind to absorb what people are saying and then respond appropriately, especially when you're trying to hide your anxiety. So yeah. I would walk in like, don't collapse. Don't let your arms go numb. Don't like calm it on down. And then your client's like, do you think that if I wear this piece over here, see how that changes my face? Like, don't you see? And I'm like, I'm going to rip that fucking chunk of hair out. You know, when you're going through your own shit and other people yeah. are presenting petty shit as a big problem, you just don't have the mental energy for it. And so um, it's a really hard job to have when you're going through your own stuff. Yeah. So what I did was I, um, I started admitting that I had anxiety. I started mm. saying, I'm sorry, I have anxiety, which was a big step for me, Shane. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to totally focus on your hair today and I'm going to give you a magazine and we're just going to make you really beautiful. And I, I had to create that boundary of I can't take on your shit today. And yeah. usually I can. Now that's not really the case. Um, and if I'm ever having one of those days, I, that's what magazines are for. Um, <laughs> but you have to, I have to protect myself and my own mental health. And because people are, you know, they, they drop a lot of shit in your lap. Yeah, and sure. I, I am honored to be a person that can help them through that. But if it's at my own cost, I can't, I have to you know, shut that down. And, you know, I started firing clients that really were too draining for me. When I would look at my book and see a client on there and start like, Oh, I want this over with. I started parting ways with those clients and yeah. referring them to somebody that could take them on. Yeah, that's good. Um, Cause you, you always think of, you know, um, that it would be the other way around. Well, a client fires their hairstyle or whatever yeah. job it is, you know what I mean? But no, that's not, that's not always the case. If it's, affecting mental health or there's certain aspects that aren't working out like you have that uh, option too and it's good that you recognize that because not all people can do that absolutely on top of that some days you probably just want to say shut your pie hole here's a damn magazine yep. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm mm -hmm. gonna make you look damn beautiful you're gonna walk out of here just feeling like a million bucks but uh i don't want to talk to your ass today i love you yep talk. yep Yep. You know, usually I have a lot of uh, gratitude for my career. I usually go, I can't believe I'm making this money to girl talk and make people look pretty. I love my job. I'm really thankful for my clients. A lot of them, we've been through a lot of shit together. You know, I'm 15 yeah. years in the industry and those people are really close and most of them are my safe space. I feel really safe being honest with them and, you know, talking to them. Um, about my problems and talking about theirs, but every once in a while you'll get a client where you're like, not for all the tea in China. Yeah. You gotta go. Were they? Uh, let them go. Were they? Were they pretty welcoming? Or I don't know if you if you're open with them about just your struggles with alcohol and not drinking. You're sober now. Um, were 
if you did talk to any of them about that, were they pretty open and like curious about it or what was their take on it from a client? Yeah. Um, most of them are like, how the hell are you going to do that? You know, <laughs> that's pretty common. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. what does that even look like? Yeah. And then everybody was pretty much supportive to me. A lot of people, when I wasn't honest about how bad it was, again, tried to tell me that I could just moderate it. And it wasn't until I was like, you know, because in the beginning, I kind of blamed it on Dave. I was like, oh, no, I'm in a relationship with a sober guy. I can't drink yeah. because I wasn't ready to admit my own problem. But once I was like, I need to eliminate my suffering that alcohol is bringing to me, a lot of people were curious. A lot of people talked to me about their own concerns with their drinking. Um, and it's, it's, I don't think I've lost a client over it. I don't think anybody, you know. I was afraid that people would think I was weak and that I didn't have it all together. And therefore I wasn't worthy of, you know, their time and their money or trusted with their hair. And that, that wasn't the case at all. That was just, again, my mind trying to convince. Yeah. Things. That's funny. Yeah. And it's like the complete opposite. Like people actually are interested and they're like, like you said, that's a pretty common one too. Like how in the shit are you going to do that? Like, how do you do that? How do you, I actually yeah. still ask myself that some days when I gotta bang my head up against the wall and just go, how in the hell are you still sober? Because yeah. you know, there's, there's some challenging ass days, whether it's business or uh, relationships or whatever that just life in general. Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Like it's just right. so um, it's so, it's such a better life than, than the life before. Uh, and I think that I can speak for everybody who, who's gone through addiction and alcoholism that it's, it's not fun. It's actually a lot more work than, than being sober. I think trying to figure out how I'm going to get high every day. So, oh, totally. Um, it was yeah. rolling the show, you know, our addictions really take over what, how we're going to spend our time. And they're like, no, you're drinking, Yeah, you know, or you're using and yeah, yeah. it's pretty wild. How, how can I go to this event and make sure that I have enough substance to carry me through and not let anybody know how fucking high I am? Like, yep. that's just like, wow, that's a lot of work to do that. You know, what was really interesting that reminds me um, early on in recovery, I, di I didn't know a lot about recovery. I didn't know what that path looked like or where to start. Um, I ended up calling a hotline and AA hotline half drunk. Second time being drunk that day by myself, I called the AA hotline and I called my mom and asked her to drive me to a meeting. And I sat in the meeting and, um, you know, they were there with open arms, but I knew that I had a long road ahead of me and I didn't know where to start. Mm. And so that's where the podcast came in. I found your podcast, um, really on like definitely within the first 30 days of my recovery. I think a lot sooner than that. And I started listening and I felt like I was doing work to get like this ball rolling. But, um, what was really interesting was, you know, because I was like, do I have to, I couldn't wrap my mind around abstinence. I had to be yeah. like, Stacy, just tone it down. See what a day sober is like. I couldn't, I hadn't done that for 10 years. Yeah. And so when I found the refuge recovery book, they have you take your inventory mm. and they have you elaborate on all these answers. Like suffering is craving list, you know, t talk about a situation where you craved more. And just like you were saying right now, I'd be like, 
I'd get an invitation to a baby shower and I'd be like, I hope this is a drinking baby shower. And I hope it's like a fucking <laughs> drinking baby shower, you yeah. know, or else I'd like dodge out of there. And mm -hmm. I was all these situations that I wanted to be a part of. I was just hoping that everybody was drinking on my level. So I didn't stand out as having a problem. Yeah, and sure. I really navigated my life into these situations where binge drinking was the thing to do there. That way there was no attention on me, but I could still socialize and drink heavily an unhealthy amount without any judgment. You know, we're always trying to keep people on our level shot for shot, take a shot with me, have a drink with yeah. me, you know? And so even simple things like that, that I would hope that people would um, make it about drinking. Yeah. It's funny. Like how everything you, you make it about drinking, like you said, a baby shower, or I was saying earlier, a funeral, a birthday, a wedding, like, is there going to be people getting jacked up there? And is that okay, cool. Then I can go, you know what I mean? And now it's like, yeah. man, Take a shot by your damn self. You don't need anybody. You want to go take a shot? Go ahead. Like, I don't yeah. Join you, you know. But, uh, well, let's. Uh, we're gonna wrap this thing up. We just got a couple minutes left. Yeah. Um, one, one last question I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, and this is, and you've, you've given, you've shared a lot today, and I just, I really appreciate you again coming on. Yeah. Uh, I love you and Dave. Like, we definitely got to hook up soon. We've been saying like, oh yeah, me, you, and uh, or me, Dave, uh, and and you and Jess, we're gonna get yes. to stuff, and we'll we'll do that sooner or later. But, um. I just wanted to kind of end with maybe one more piece for anyone out there listening. Um, you know, what's one thing that you think is, you know, or, or maybe a couple of things, whatever comes to your mind, that's so important about, um, about trying or, or maintaining sobriety. Um, number one, you know, there's always these little phrases in AA and um, in recovery in general. And, you know, we hope that when we go to a meeting, we take a couple of things that resonate with us. And the one that I constantly have to remind myself of, because again, my mind's trying to convince me, like you learned some things and now you could be a normal drinker. <laughs> but, uh, I always remember that you can't unpickle a pickle. Hmm. You know, That's I am good. an alcoholic. There is no healthy drinking for me. There is no normal drinking for me. And even if I'm able to have one beer, and stop, I would finish that later. I would, that would eventually turn into my old habits of drinking. So just truly understanding that abstinence is the only way that I could live my life. Abstinence from alcohol. Um, and you know, just not looking back. That's good. Stacy Tickner. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show today. Um, thank any, you. Uh, any, uh, um, Instagram, anyone you want to throw out any of those links or anything? Are you good? Yeah, I'm Stacy Tickner on Instagram. Uh, my hair page is Stacy Tickner Hair. Cool. And that's me. Yeah, yes. thank you so much, Shane. Like I said, it's like getting a coin being on the show today. So um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. You guys have a safe uh, rest of the trip in uh, Mexico. Give uh, give Big Dave a big hug for me. And, I will. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, you can check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram at realthatsoberguy, at Shane Raymond on Twitter. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.